Welcome to episode two of Unraveling Pink, a podcast exploring gender-based assumptions or pink bandanas at work. I'm Annie Rogaski. Pink bandanas are my code word for those gender-based assumptions that turn out to be wrong and have a negative impact on another person or your workplace culture. In episode one, I shared my own personal pink bandana moment, which literally involved a pink bandana that I received from my basketball coach when I was playing on a boys' basketball team. Though likely meant as a gift, I perceived that pink bandana as an insult, as a reminder that I was a girl rather than a basketball player. Assumptions like these didn't end in my teenage years. I saw them happen throughout my professional life by both men and women. In this podcast, I interview women and men who share their personal stories about gender-based assumptions they have personally experienced or observed at work. We use those pink bandana moments to explore how we can unravel those assumptions to make our companies higher functioning and ultimately more successful. Through their stories, you'll hear what it feels like to be on the receiving or assuming end of assumptions about the other gender, and we'll explore how we can reduce false assumptions and create more constructive workplaces. In this episode, I sat down with Joanna Bloor, the founder and CEO of the Amplify Lab. What I particularly liked about this conversation is that Joanna had to find a way to connect with a man she was coaching and experienced a bit of a struggle with seeing things from his perspective. I suspect her struggle is similar to what a lot of men experience when they try to connect with a female coworker. Joanna's story gives us some good insights into the challenge of gender differences and the importance of empathy. Joanna also took me through an impromptu, what do you want to be known for, coaching session, which was a really interesting experience. I'm publishing that as a separate episode for those who want to peek into what her coaching work is like or who want to hear me struggle through the -the on-the-fly coaching. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to call out this episode's Unraveling Pink fave, the book Feminist Fight Club. This book walks through a lot of the issues women face at work and give practical advice as to how to overcome it. You should check it out. I'll put a link to where you can buy it in the show notes. You can also follow them on Twitter with the handle FFCBook for Feminist Fight Club book. If you're going to the Women's March on Washington on Saturday, January 21st, please tweet about it to at Unraveling Pink and also to at Women's March. And now here's my conversation with Joanna Bloor. Welcome to Unraveling Pink, a podcast that explores gender-based assumptions or pink bandanas at work. I'm Annie Rogaski, and it is my pleasure today to welcome to the podcast, Joanna Bloor, the CEO and founder of the Amplify Lab. Welcome, Joanna. Thanks for having me, Annie. Tell us a little bit about the Amplify Lab. What is it? What do you do there? Sure. Uh, Well, we do lots of stuff, um, but mostly the Amplify Lab is there because we believe that executives today should have a brand and a platform of their own as much as companies do for their products. So if you think about successful companies today, what their executive teams say and what their teams are known for is as important as the products that they sell because people believe that what you do and what you say is just as much as important as what you sell. And so we work with organizations and executives around the question, what do you want to be known for and help them figure that out. Are people generally wanting to be known for things outside of their job or does it help their job and help the company that they work for to be known for something? Oh, it's absolutely associated with their work. Um, Although what I have found in the process is it's actually 
the whole person that usually comes to the table with what they want to be known for, because we are a product of all of our experiences and things that happen to you within your personal area of passion absolutely impact your professional area of passion. And the key with building a strategy for what you want to be known for is you have to be genuine and you have to be authentic and you have to be you. And if you leave a part of yourself on the table that is a part of who you are, well, then you're leaving a part of yourself out of the conversation. And if you bring all of you, I believe you get a better you at the end of the day. And so, yeah, I'd say the people who have been successful, the ones who are combining personal and professional to their thinking of what is it they want to be known for. It's more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you work with both men and women? Absolutely. Do you find that one gender or the other has an easier or harder time bringing their whole selves (laughs) to the equation? Um, You know, that's actually interesting. They have different reactions to the conversation for sure. But no, I mean, well, so for the group conversations, I work mostly with women just because of my background and my network. But I have about 50-50 when I do one-on-one sessions. And the reality is, is that as a person, regardless of your gender, you have to be ready for me. Uh, And you have to be... (laughs) I can attest to that. (laughs) You have to be ready for the conversation. And so there's a bit of a self-selection that happens automatically. And I actually had one of my first clients, the very first session, I actually spend four hours with somebody. So I really, really get to know them in a big way. And when I say you bring your whole person, um, it's a bit of a history lesson that happens with these folks. And that is part of the process. And we had just had our first, it's four hours of me getting up in the business, which I've gotten up in your business for years, and so you can imagine it's a fairly intense experience. I do keep Kleenex on hand for both genders. It's kind of surprising. But as we were walking out to a guy who came in to work with me, he turned to me and he said, you know, I know that you're all about this helping out the ladies, lady badassery stuff, which I know we're going to cover later. Um, but, you know, the guys need this too. Mm-hmm. And it hadn't really occurred – like my – drive originally was I used to run around saying I want to curate the next Sheryl Sandberg I want more choices for women to see other women being amazing and found that guys need my help articulating their awesome just as much and um and struggle with it just as much but in very different ways the the expectations if you're going to draw a gender line, are very different around, you know, for women, well, I can't do this because it's, it's bragging or Mm -hmm. society says I can't push that hard. Whereas with the guys, there's this kind of expectation that they already know how to do this and that it's part of who they are. And nobody, I don't think is a hundred percent one thing or a hundred percent another. We all live on a spectrum and we all have a bit of masculine and feminine about us. Mm And depending on what you're doing and where you are, different parts of those personalities show up. So, so yeah, I think it's, it's a universal challenge. So one of the things that we explore on this podcast is what I call pink bandana moments, which are gender-based assumptions that play out in ways that they might not otherwise play out had we not made those assumptions. Mm-hmm. Is there a pink bandana moment in your life that you would be willing to share with our audience? Yeah, I actually have two, and I chose these two because they're so dramatic and and surprise me in both scenarios. 
And one of them was a very classic pink bandana moment based on what I know about you. And it was, so when I moved from England to the US back in the 80s, I went from going to an all girls, very Victorian school, and so had been surrounded by women. And this idea of gender bias, at least in school, which was the only thing I knew where you would judge, so to speak, didn't exist because I only hung around other women. So up until 15, it was a non thing. And then I went to uh, high school in Central Texas, um, very Friday Night Lights-esque sort of experience. <laughs> it was awesome. And I remember I was taking chemistry and I think it was probably only the first or second day of school taking a chemistry class. And I was sitting there and it was you know, mixed gender and the teacher was asking questions and I was putting my hand up and I was, I was being a normal, to my eye, student. At the end of class, there were some really lovely, lovely women in the class who, or in the entire school, who really helped me navigate what was different of being in America, because it was really, really different. And so I was getting a lot of feedback that first year of like, well, we don't quite do things this way. <laughs> and one of the things um, that one of the girls said to me is, at the end of class, she said, you know, you should be careful about how many times you put your hand up, because you don't want to come across as too smart, or the, the boys won't ask you out on a date. Mm. And I... I remember being completely and utterly horrified by that idea. And I, I actually think I got completely demented and was all like, well, to heck with that. I'm going to be super smart in science <laughs> and kind of go into the other extreme. If you know me, it explains a lot. Um, I didn't really worry about it too much. I was like, I'll get boys to ask me out for a different reason. Who says they have to ask? And got my little feminist flag went flying almost immediately at 15. But then I was, I was actually talking with a client the other day. He is on paper, and if you met him, he is the very stereotypical American guy, like everything that comes around that and very into sports and all of this sort of stuff. And, and yet he is working with me, which I think is wonderful. Mm -hmm. I was talking to him about the concept of language and how when you start to build the foundation of what it is you want to be known for, finding language that is uniquely you and being able to articulate your value proposition and what is what I call your statement is really important and all of the language around it. And as I was talking to him, I was talking to him around the process of how do you produce an event? As I was talking to him, the event that was coming to mind for me was a wedding because it's a very universal event that women produce. And I was like, as I was starting to say, oh, a wedding, I was like, you know what? I can't use a wedding because that's a very, it's a stereotypically women's event. And I knew it at the time he wasn't married and so had not actually even gone through a wedding. And I was like, well, I can't use the wedding example. And even if you haven't gotten married as a woman, you know how a wedding goes and all of the, the production of that. Right. And so I was using football analogies and my husband was listening in the background at the end of the call, I hung up the phone and he started laughing at me and he was like, you really struggled. And I was like, oh my God, I totally did. And the reason I tell this story is it's almost a, a reverse pink bandana moment because as women, we get super mad, super mad when guys don't think about what it's like to be a woman in the male workplace. And we, we go, well, you should think about how we feel and how we react. We don't ever think about how hard it is for the guy to relate 
to the experiences that we have. And I had such a reverse experience of this where I had to have almost like a blue bandana moment (laughs) and be sensitive and empathetic to the guy's needs as opposed to mine. It was just about the language I used. And I thought, gosh, it's that subtle. It's that subtle because I'm so much more practiced in the feminine language than I am in the masculine language. And again, I think we're all on ranges of all of this, but it was a real eye opener for me because I was like, wow, I shouldn't be so tough on guys when they don't think through everything because it is difficult. It actually took a concerted effort on my part to actually go, I need to speak a different language to meet the needs of my client. And so it's, I think there's an interesting conversation for both sides around that, around awareness from both parties and then empathy from both parties that it's actually harder than you think. Yeah, I love that example because I think there's the women who are pushing really hard for equality, which is a good thing. Yeah. There are different ways of approaching that question and that issue. And some of the ways that we might approach it are very difficult for men to 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 hear and digest and internalize and it makes it sometimes harder i think for those conversations to happen and putting ourselves in their shoes which is yeah, what you just exactly. went through is an important thing and thinking about okay so how can i help men understand what we're trying to accomplish yeah. or um how can i help a man see what i would want to talk with yeah. because i think that that issue comes up a lot in the workplace of oh, I'm not going to invite someone of the other gender to lunch because I don't know what they want to talk. I don't know. I don't have anything in common with them. Well, you haven't asked. Yeah. Right. And so that common shared experience, we don't know until we try. And I think there's so much to that issue of there are plenty of men out there who want to help on equality across genders and they don't know how to approach it or they don't know what words to use and they don't want to have their head torn. Exactly. You know, I remember once I had a really tough moment in my career a couple of years ago. And I had been given a gift of information about crying from a friend. And it's about the science of crying and why and how women cry differently. And at the end, I actually ended up crying in a meeting, which is really unusual for me because I'm kind of a toughie. And as I said, I was going through a really tough period. And at the end of the meeting, because I had composed myself by that point, I, I was sitting there with four men and I said to them, or I said to all four of them, I said, you know what, before we leave, I want to talk about what just happened in here with my eyeballs. And I said my eyeballs <laughs> as opposed to anything else, because I wanted to talk, I wanted them to think about the science. And I said, I want to share with you something that I learned about the science of crying for women and what actually just manifested for me and that I'm not sad. It's actually this whole other thing. Interestingly, of the four guys in there, two of them kind of looked at me like I was a crazy person because I said a lot of crazy stuff at the time and that was not unusual. And they kind of left the room and whatever. And the other two guys hung out and had a whole dialogue with me about the whole situation. And one of them was like, wow, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I should have a whole different conversation about crying. I think I've just teed up another guest for you. Um, And I think those are the conversations that we can have around how and why we're different. So how do we start those conversations? I think it's actually if we want to have change, it's being brave enough to have them. So like you see something happen at work, like you your something example. Ha- yeah, my example. Like it was really hard. It was really hard to cry in front of them to begin with. Oh, like yeah. I was already like, oh my God, they're judging me and all that. But then to say, okay, I'm now going to take a second and make this into a learning moment and say, look, this is what I'm talking about. 
um, and do that. And in reality, I think about the two guys who did stay and they're the ones that I had taken the time to get to know and understood that while there was a lot of energy in the Joanna world at all times, that when I said, hey, hey, hang on a second, I want to talk about something that I was, that intent is always in a good place. And that it wasn't, you guys were jerks for making me cry. It was actually, hey, there's a learning moment here for everybody, not reacting to the the situation. And I mean, we've all had umpteen situations I think every gender has had umpteen situations where things have happened in interactions or meetings or what have you, where you want to punch somebody because of some sort of bias, whatever it is, gender, education, assumptions, doesn't matter. And can you check your ego for just a minute so that you can get beyond the the anger of the situation and have a real conversation and then be okay with maybe they're not going to get it, mm-hmm. but to keep trying there. Um, because I have these, I mean, I, I talk about feminism and I talk with a lot of men and women about what opportunities and what things women can bring to the table. And it's that conver- constant conversation of, look, if I want the thing to change, well, then it's my job to do so. Again, it comes back to that mm-hmm. Uh, being being empathetic, but then also not being, it's a bit like owning your own part in the process. Well, There's yeah, accountability I mean, on both sides. Yeah, because you, in, in your example, you talked about it after the meeting. So yeah. in one scenario, I could see a lot of women leaving the meeting as quickly as they could once it was over. Going never talking Blank about holes. it. Blank holes. Yeah. So you took the initiative, which I think is hard to do, especially if you're the only woman in the room. But the other thing you had is you had data. Yes. Do you think that helped? Sure. I had, well, so less of data. I had a story I knew I had, I had a story already set in my head to tell. But it was not your personal story. No. And so it was more removed. It was not emotional. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not, cause I, I don't want people to think, oh, you have to have a quantifiable data thing. And I'm trying to think of another example. So one of the guys who was in the room is probably had one of the most remarkable working experiences with, uh, he and I really found a good rhythm of working together. We were incredibly different in the way, and I, and I am going to be biased on this. Women are very much more spatial and nonlinear thinkers frequently, and they talk their problems out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And men are very generally, and again, end of the spectrum, linear thinkers and think something and then say stuff. I have found, because I have been the only woman in the room a lot, that my thinking talking thing can annoy the heck out of people, (laughs) (laughs) annoys the heck out of guys. And quite honestly, makes me sound stupid because I'm thinking and talking at the same time and it's not linear and they're like, she just sounds like an idiot. And so he actually was the first person when I was in a meeting doing this with a bunch of guys and said, hey, have you noticed how Joanna does that? She thinks and talks at the same time. And if you just let her go, by the end of it, she'll come out with something brilliant. So just shut up and in a minute, she'll get there. Mm-hmm. I remember after the meeting going, wow, that was incredibly kind. Yeah. And actually gave me the language in, of this thinking and talking at the same time. So that when I'm in a meeting, especially with men, 
because they're much less, I have found much less, yeah, I'm being biased even talking now. But when I see a man kind of getting all wriggly with me because I'm doing my thinking and talking at the same time, I'll actually say, I'm really sorry. I think and talk at the same time and it's my way of processing things and have that conversation. Again, it's my story, but it's a story and it's an, it's a non-emotional explanation for something that I do. And again, I, you know, I remember having a conversation with a guy once and he was like, oh my God, my wife does that. And I said, yeah, it's, I said, we don't actually look for the answer yet. It's our way of processing information and we'll get there. Just let us get there. And I think, you know, you think about marriages. I mean, how many marriages did I just save there? Hope lots. <laughs> Coming back to that meeting, let's say you had not uh, raised the issue at the end, but there was someone in that room who wanted to talk about it. How would he have raised the question what without it being awkward or embarrassing or offending if we take any set of five people four of whom are male and one is female and she cries during the meeting how she would want others to react to that i think would be different yeah. based on who she is and then if we were to try to help our male friends to navigate that do they take her aside after the meeting privately and say how would you have liked that to be handled by yeah, us? Maybe. You know, I don't know. I would. It? I think it depends on the situation. And you do have to be sensitive to the individual. So like I sat there and I said, okay, if, so the guy who was particularly helpful in that meeting was this guy named Chris. If Chris had shared the science of leaky mm -hmm. eyeballs with me, I would have been grateful because I trust him. And I, we had a working relationship where I knew if that he said something, it was, it was never a detriment to me. And by sharing this particular story, he would have been actually supporting me. And I would have been incredibly grateful. It would not have pissed mm -hmm. me off that he had shared it because we had a foundation of mutual respect and trust and accountability with each other that was fantastic. Personally, even if it had been some random stranger doing it, I think I would have been grateful because it, it diffused a situation right. and I learned something. Now, that's me. There's probably people out there who are like, you're insane. There's no way. And should you pull them aside? And so... So you should get to know people. Yes. So you should build that relationship. Get and to then know people you can and then you can ask those questions. Yeah. It's the whole range of emotions that to a certain extent, it feels like sometimes women are not allowed to have mm -hmm. other than happy. <laughs> we're all right. supposed to be happy all the time. <laughs> uh, we're not allowed to be angry. Mm -hmm. It's perceived differently. It is perceived differently. Maybe that's the bigger conversation. What is allowable emotion? Like, how do we have a conversation around allowable emotion? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I would love it. Love it if I got super mad. Because I do get mad in meetings. It happens. I've shouted. Maybe not appropriately. But if a guy had gone, wow. Look at Joanna getting angry. Go her. And it actually been supportive instead of, you know, the usual nonsense behind the back. I wonder if there is an opportunity for a conversation around, like, call the elephant out, men and women, mm -hmm. and in, in an authentic, well, I'm really tired of that word, but in a, in a real way where you're saying, like, this is the emotion I had and own it. Yeah. So your question was about what can the guys do? So if you're a guy and you know that a woman struggles with her voice there, well, then be that for her. Be the one go to say, well, she got really mad, didn't she? Go her and like be supportive. In the work that you do with helping people figure out what they want to be known for, do you see gender 
issues that come out of that based on the people you work with? Yes, especially on the group sessions of the what do you want to be known for? I talked to lots and lots of people about why are they awesome and why is that important? It's one of, uh, one of the first questions I ask when I do a session with somebody or do group sessions. What I have noticed with women a ton is when I say, well, so what does your company do and why is it important? I have yet to actually meet somebody who can't beautifully rattle that off. Congratulations, marketing department. <laughs> and then I say, well, what do you do and why is it important? And I'd say maybe one in a hundred so far mm-hmm. have people been able to go, I do this and this is why it's important. People stumble over it. And then I go, well, of those two statements, which one's actually most important to you? And clearly the second one should be the most important yet. We can't do it. And this right. is this is why I do what I do. When people stumble, I'm like, well, tell me more, tell me more. And I'll ask questions. And what I have found for women is, and this is, again, isn't everybody, but I hear a lot of, I get shit done. I'm the person, I'm the go-to person for making it happen. And I'm really good at connecting people. I then get really mean and I go, those ladies are table stakes. Those are the reasons why you have a job. This is not what is going to get you the promotion, is going to get you the opportunity, is going to get you the next rung on the ladder. Because what's missing in that conversation is articulating vision. We talk about what we've done and our ability to make it happen. Like, give me a project and I can execute against it all day. And I don't use the word, I actually ding people, especially executives, if I say, well, what are you known for? And if they say they're being, if they say I'm strategic, I'm like, well, what is that? And I don't know any executive on the planet, on the planet, who wouldn't say, I'm strategic. Like, it's... You dinged me for that. I did. I probably said, <laughs> I probably said something mean like you're boring. Um, because it is boring. Everybody uses the it word strategic. Boring, yeah. So you're not, like, that's table stakes to me. Right. I have found that guys especially are not awesome at it, but are much more likely to have more of a futuristic piece of language in their conversation about what they are thinking of doing or what's out in front. And if you think about any opportunity that you're going for, whether it's an internal job or an external job, and you're in the interview process, yeah, there's a certain amount of getting it done. Your resume, LinkedIn profile, whatever, mm-hmm. shows what you can accomplish. Right. It's can you articulate a vision at any level of an organization? Can you articulate a vision of what you see as a potential solution to problems that are trying to be solved that get you the get you the job? So I'd like to wrap up with a challenge to our listeners of something that they can do that's not very hard. Mm-hmm. that will help create a conversation around gender-based assumptions or help reduce gender-based assumptions? I think empathy is where all of this starts. Mm-hmm. And you can't have empathy unless you have a conversation. And so I think for both genders, the thing that you can do is, like we all know stuff about, like we all know in this day and age in our, with our coworkers what their outside passions are. Or if you don't, just ask the question, like, what, do, like, what are you into outside of work? Mm-hmm. And if it's something that you have never done or participated with, like I know nothing about pretty much every American sport on the planet, maybe a little bit about baseball, <laughs> say, can we have lunch? Because I would love to learn about whatever it is. Like what continue, continues to come back for me in the workplace is if you understand what the other person is going through then you can have empathy. And then when you have empathy, you can start talking about things like reliable emotions. So building relationships. Too. Yes. Have a conference. Go learn yeah. something from somebody. Go learn something go new learn about something. one of your coworkers yeah. this week. Perfect. There you go.
challenge set. Excellent. Thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. As always, thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're interested in working with the Amplify Lab or Joanna, you can find contact information in the show notes. If you accepted Joanna's challenge and learned something about one of your coworkers, tweet about it to at Unraveling Pink or shoot us a note on our contact page on unravelingpink.com. Together, we can unravel the pink bandana.